Hello, welcome back to episode 19 of Unsolved Cases and Suspicious Faces. Sorry we've been gone for so long, but you know, it is summertime and the world's opening back up. And so I think both of us have stuff to do. Well, yeah, and we're both in school, so that also my makes term it... just finished up last week and this term starting this week. So yeah, mine finished up on Wednesday and it starts again in three days. So uh, yeah, but you know, this class that I'm in right now, I'm taking a uh, forensic science class and it is so much fun. I've just barely gotten started, but we've already, we're already talking about like the crime scene and evidence gathering and I, I can I'm already jealous. tell it's going to be, <laughs> you should take one. It's, it's pretty great. No regrets. No regrets. Uh, well, do you uh, have any updates for us? Uh, I know that you just had surgery and you're in recovery and you were doing drugs. Drugs are bad, kids. I was on drugs for a while. <laughs> I, yeah. I noticed your text messages are a little bit more exciting than usual. Not that you're boring, but I mean. I was having a great time, actually. <laughs> a great time. Oh, my goodness. I had fun with Hi, Jackie. For sure. So, yeah. I'm all out of drugs, though. So, sad day. I'm working my way up the road of recovery. <laughs> you know, it had to happen eventually. This is an intervention, actually. Episode 19, Jackie's intervention. God damn it. <laughs> it's an intervention after you're already stopped. Mom and dad just pop on real quick like, hey. I actually am going to call them real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just log into the family video chat real quick. I mean, the way you told us you were out of surgery is by sending us the I lived bitch meme. So that's my favorite one. I, I know. I love it so much. So you had surgery, but you're on the road to recovery. You're off drugs. Thank God. We were all so worried about you. Anything else going on? Anything spicy? No. Not a lot happens in my life. I've uh, been cross-stitching a lot, so super exciting. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to see your progress. <laughs> yep. I'm, uh, if you guys want to look up the pattern, you can. But it's called Unicorn Drinking Coffee. <laughs> and it's uh, actually fantastic. It's amazing. The, it sounds like something you would like if you were doing drugs all the time. There's a wonderful lady who has a website her name or the website is like gecko rogue 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 yeah <laughs> gecko rogue <laughs> rouge roger i don't know one of the <laughs> it's just a gecko with just flawless put, like blush. vowels wherever and eventually you'll get the right one but she like <laughs> she makes all the kits for the cross stitches and then everything so that's what i'm working on and it's really detailed it's coming out really well so far but that's, that, that's what i've been spending all my uh con leave doing yeah Not thankfully oh i was telling josh guys. no i was i was telling josh like we bought that cross stitch so i wouldn't have to hold it while i stitched because a i'm super lazy and <laughs> 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 and uh B, it was like a really cool idea and i stitch a lot and i didn't want my wrist to start hurting so we got it, and then I got the surgery, and I couldn't hold it. So it was, like, perfect. It was <laughs> you, almost you like just, I knew. You knew you needed surgery way before you had the surgery. I got you. 
wrist is feeling really weak in about a year. I think. I think I'll. I think I'll need to get this. To just cut it off, cut off the wrists, and then reattach the hand. So you just got arm, then hand, no wrist. Yeah, you don't solves need all it. your problems. Yeah, you don't need flexibility. I took Freya's toy away because she was squeak squeaking it while we were recording. Right as soon as we started recording, she went ham on this thing. So I took She's it like, back. Oh, now her people face. You're listening. Her face is, and she's just sitting next to me, so I'm, like, petting her forehead and, like, calming her down, but... <laughs> I met that dog. Freya and Calm do not go in the same sentence together. She is, uh, she's a gem, and I love her, and her face right now is killing me. I'm the worst mom on the planet. So, Ryan really loves, like, those dumb cheese balls from the store, so I grabbed a handful. And I went to eat them, and Jessie's just, like, looking at me, you know, begging for food. So I yelled at her to go lay down. And she looked at me like, how can you do this to me, mother? Why must you verbally abuse me all the time? <laughs> like, she looked so dejected. And I was like, oh, no. And Ryan's like, do you think maybe she makes that face because she knows she'll get food when she does? And I was like, <laughs> I can't say no. <laughs> Be strong. Yeah, so she she's mastered just like Freya. She's mastered the dejected the mother. Trip. Mother is abusive and hates me. No. That's why she will not let me squeak my squeaky toy. If Dad took it, she wouldn't pull this. I'm certain. Yeah, because you're the weak one. <laughs> no, you're the one that still has Thanks. a heart. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's an acceptable secondary statement. I still stand by the first statement. <laughs> Whatever, Izzy. Okay. Whatever, How about okay. that? All right. All right. I see I see getting off drugs has made you be I guess the pleasantries are over and the gloves are off. So I'm it's going dual to in time. <laughs> Just gonna go ahead and roll straight into my murder. Or no, not no, question no. mark. Not question mark because we've only talked about you. Okay. Yeah. So you the didn't ask me how I was away. <laughs> so listen, this is the lesson to learn here. When you're on drugs, you're you just don't care about anybody but yourself, and you're instantly ten times more hilarious. So, you know, pros and cons. Are you saying I've been on drugs this whole time? <laughs> Not the oh whole God. time. <laughs> <laughs> Usually you ask me how I've been doing too, but it's okay. I'm fine, I guess. Anyway, all on right. to the murder. All right, all right. Easy. <laughs> what? How have you been doing? Fine, I guess. So do you have a murder to tell us? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Good. So, 
I said murder earlier, and I kind of said question mark at the end, and you guys will see why as I get further along into this story. But you all know I like doing the more recent stories. This time, I'm going back a little bit, at least for the background. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, okay. dun, dun. <laughs> all right. The New London Ledge Lighthouse. Say that five times fast. New London Ledge Lighthouse. Nope. That's all I got. One. <laughs> the New London Ledge Lighthouse is on the Connecticut coast. It was built in 1909 on the New London Harbor. And the reason why I'm going over this is because there's kind of a, I don't want to say it's related to the case, but there was kind of a paranormal aspect. It says that in the 1920s or 30s, the keeper of the lighthouse, who was possibly a man named John Randolph, jumped off of the lighthouse and committed suicide. There's no records or anything that says whether or not this is true or false. It's just a local legend, legend you would say, but this lighthouse is considered to be one of the most haunted things in Connecticut. Oh, we're that kind of podcast? Now, I'm sure you're all thinking, Jackie, <laughs> why are you telling us about this? Well... You're not really supposed to go onto the lighthouse. Normally, lighthouses are on their own little islands, out in the bay, away from everything else. And this one is not open to the public. And this is where our story starts. It's Saturday, May 26 in 2018. So it's Memorial, Memorial Day weekend. And a lot of people were just kind of out and about. Now, we have two people, Sophia McKenna, who is 21, and Spencer Mugford, who is 20. They met while they were working at a saloon and spa called, it was the Red Door Saloon and Spa, in the Mystic Marriott Hotel in Groton, Connecticut. Saloon they and spa. That's quite a combo. And it was inside of another hotel, so I'm not really sure how that all fits together, but that's where they worked, and that's where they met. Okay. Okay. So they had dated in the past, but they were not dating at the time that this happened, but they decided to go hang out on this night. So it's the night of the 26th slash the morning of the 27th. They parked at the Yukon Avery Point campus. And they used, they took one of the university sailboats. So it's, I'm going to say what it is for anybody who knows anything about sailboats. It's a white 14 foot sunfish without a mast. So I don't really know what that means. I'm just kind of imagining basically, basically a big kayak. And they paddled out into the water and made it to the lighthouse. It was about 60 degrees that night. And the air temperatures, it was said it even kind of got down into the 50s. So there's definitely a bite in the air. They made it out onto the lighthouse and they took a few pictures. The first, the first thing they had was it was on Snapchat. So it was kind of a Snapchat video. And it was Sophia taking a picture of Spencer. And he is paddling the boat. A few minutes later at 2 in the morning... The next picture that is taken is her 
next to a no trespassing sign. And she's kind of posing. At this point, it's two, that picture that was taken. This is when later in the morning, as time rolls on, it's people are starting to notice that they're missing. That afternoon, when Spencer didn't show up to some to an event they were doing, his friends called the police because they knew that he would have been there if he could have. Sophia's boyfriend had been trying to get a hold of her all morning and couldn't. And so he talked to her mom to let her know that something was going on. And this is really kind of sad. Her mom had actually gotten quite a few phone calls during the early morning, but she didn't see them because she let her younger daughter play with her phone and I guess like did something to the notifications so they didn't come in. Oh no. So when she looked at it, she called the number back. Right. She called the number back and it was Spencer's phone and it went directly to his voicemail. She had seven missed calls and the calls were at 205, 206, 207, three times at 208 and one at 209. So Spencer never actually knew her mom or Sophia's mom's number. So the police and everyone think that it was actually Sophia calling her on his phone. At 630, it was pretty much confirmed that something had happened and they were gone. They found the Snapchat video and the Coast Guard was called. At this point, her car was found on campus and her cell phone was found inside of her car. 911 said that they never got any calls from Spencer's phone number. And this Coast Guard started searching the waters of the area. So a Coast Guard found Spencer's tank top tied at the lighthouse and they think that he used his tank top to tie the boat to the lighthouse. So so it wouldn't float away was the thought there. But obviously that didn't work. Mm -hmm. So the next day, it's Monday, and it's almost been 48 hours after they left at this point. They found the boat on a shore at Long Island Beach. And I think it's the same one that they had that they had taken out to the lighthouse. There were no footprints found anywhere around the boat, and the Coast Guard stopped searching that night. Two weeks later, on Friday, June 8th, a boater found Spencer's body in the water about two and a half miles southeast of Avery Point, and it was later determined that he had drowned. At this point, with the evidence that was gathered, the police came to a conclusion that they had left on the boat at 2 a.m. They basically arrived a few minutes earlier than that, and Dispenser tied the sailboat to the lighthouse. At 2 a.m. exactly is when the picture of Sophia was taken at the no press trespassing sign on the lighthouse. I keep pausing because Fry's in the background chomping at her bone. <laughs> it's not a squeaky toy, I guess. <laughs> Second toy is confiscated. And then it's only five minutes later when her mom starts getting those phone calls. So they think at that point they either see the sailboat floating away or they find out that it's gone when they go to look for it. And 
The police think Spencer jumped into the water to try and save it. Now, even though the ambient temperature outside was like low 60s, high 50s, the water was much, much colder. Yes. Yes, I bet. So, even though, and Spencer was reported to be a really strong swimmer. In fact, he um, was actually working in the local fishing charter where he took small groups of people out on the water. So, he was, he, he was definitely a strong swimmer, but when the water gets that cold, your body just, like, basically freezes up. There's not a lot you can do. Mm-hmm. Sophia's body has never been found, which is why I'm talking to you guys about this case. So we say, know what, everything so far sounds pretty solved. We know what happened to Spencer. We have, okay, I don't want to say no. We have a pretty good idea of what happened to Spencer. But Sophia was not really a strong swimmer, according to her family. And her family also didn't think that she would have jumped into the water after him because where would she go? She also made all those calls from the lighthouse while Spencer was in the water. So why would she stay on the lighthouse? And she had a phone so she could call like the police or emergency services and let everybody know where she was. So why would she have then gone into the water? Yeah. You know? It's fishy for sure. What are your so, Well, I'm not kind of I just wanna like Sophia's family actually has suggested in the past that maybe using the cell phone for Snapchat and the phone calls completely drain the battery Mm -hmm. which means Sophia would have been alone on the lighthouse at night and so they think maybe she was like screaming for help or something and somebody boating by picked her up yeah that's that that's it's it's a possibility and it's unfortunately kind of the hope of the family because they want her to be alive but I don't know. This is going to sound really callous, but I don't know what would be the better scenario, you know? For sure. Like, a life is great, but that kind of life is... Yeah. Right. I mean, it's possible that after she didn't see Spencer, she could have tried to swim for it or something. Maybe, but, but some more background information, too. Other men drowned in in that area later that week, but both of their bodies were found pretty fast. Yeah. The three out of four bodies were found, but not hers. Yeah. And you know, sharks and other fish don't eat the like whole body. Whole yeah. bodies. Yep. So you would think that something would have been found. Now the police has never given back Sophia's cell phone. Mm-hmm. Spencer's phone has never been found, obviously, because it was with Sophia, and his call record, his call records were never released. Yeah. So it's possible maybe they even had a third person out there. Maybe we just don't know. I I don't know. It was 
the third person was never in the Snapchat videos or in any of the pictures. Yeah. So I think that would be a slim possibility, but I think it's I think it's very odd that her body has never been found. Mm-hmm. So something happened to her. Either somebody else was on the island when they were there. I don't know how big the lighthouse is or the island. So I don't know if maybe somebody was there while they were there and something happened. Mm -hmm. And that's why the boat, like, either the boat wasn't tied securely or somebody untied the boat. And then when Spencer, like something happened to Spencer and then Sophia was taken, which is, I guess, a possibility. The one that the family has thought of with the cell phone battery being drained and a boater being drawn in by Sophia's screams is a possibility. Her body has never been found. And the fact that it's never popped up is concerning to me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Thank you for the murder, Jackie. It was a really good story. Yeah, there's... It's just... This one's really interesting to me because it's so wide open, you know? Yeah. Uh, Did you say your sources already? Uh, So there was a couple of stories. One, the background information on the lighthouse I got from a website called Damned Connecticut. Connecticut's damned. (laughs) It it was uh, an article written by Ray... Ben DC. And then there was a few articles on the day. One of them was written by Lindsay Boyle. And the other one was written by Julia Bergman. Thank you. That was a that was a good story. And I hope that some light is shed on that case soon. However unlikely. I really want to see Spencer's phone records. Because I think that Mm -hmm. probably holds some evidence, especially with the fact that her mom got phone calls. If your mom doesn't pick up. Yeah. Who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters, that's for sure. And I I just don't think the phone died right after she called her mom. And that was it. I think she got a hold of somebody. Yeah. Honestly. Honestly, I think she got a hold of somebody who had a boat. Mm-hmm. And something happened. So, yeah. Especially, I think that's why, you know, she didn't call the police either, is because they were trespassing. And so she called a buddy. She didn't know what happened to Spencer because he was a strong swimmer and was swimming after the boat. I don't know if she would have saw him drown at all, especially since it was two in the morning and it was dark outside. So, yeah. I think, I think that's the most likely scenario. I'd agree with that. Okay. I also have a murder to tell you, which is kind of shocking, I know. What? I know. This is the disappearance of Dorothy Forstein. Now, because it's me, you can probably guess that this is not a modern murder. But oh, like different we are with our murder preferences. <laughs> me too. But this is a good story nonetheless. So Dorothy Forstein vanished from her Philadelphia home in 1949. She was married nine years to a man named Jules Forstein, who was a clerk 
for the Philadelphia City Council at the time of the wedding. Uh, Dorothy was happy, outgoing, uh, and she became a mother of two children who were not hers. So she had Marcy, who was a baby, and Myrna, who was 10. They were the children from her husband Jules's first marriage. Uh, his wife had died in childbirth, giving birth to the infant, and since it was still an infant, we can guess that there is not a long time before he and Dorothy met or er, um, re-met and got married because Dorothy and Jules were childhood sweethearts that had drifted apart and then got reacquainted later in their life. Okay. So their marriage was a happy one. And um, Jules's work life began to prosper because he was made a magistrate in 1943. And then the couple had another child, well, their first child together named Edward, just a little bit after that. So yes. just thinking out loud, how, how comfortable would you be with marrying somebody like immediately after their wife died. I feel like, well, I mean, I guess if you have like the prior chemistry and stuff, but yeah. And it was like a childhood sweetheart that you met. Um, but I think back in the forties, it was probably a lot different than today because today for sure, I'd be like, bro, you got to give it at least a couple years. Yeah. Just like sort yourself out. Obviously yeah. they matched to them because they were married. But yeah, but we, like Jules had two kids. He needed someone to take care of. So he could have like remet his childhood sweetheart and still had the attraction there. And then was like, let's just get this done with. So that way um, I have someone to look after my children. But they had a happy marriage. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, but I mean, it was the 40s. So, it could have been rushed because of it being the 40s. Things get a little dicey for Dorothy because January 25th, 1945, Dorothy left her children with the neighbors and went to do some grocery shopping, you know, as you do. She joked with a butcher, chatted with friends as she went about her errands, was in an overall good humor, no signs that anything was wrong. Later that day, her neighbor saw her return home and thought that someone was with her uh, or walking behind her. She made her way through the shadows and the dusk time of day to her home. It was getting dark due to the time and the neighbor Maria Townley admitted that she didn't look closely at the man who was behind her because it was a safe neighborhood and she never imagined that Dorothy was in trouble. So just as Dorothy was entering her three-story home, the stranger or the man that the neighbor saw jumped out of the darkness at Dorothy. He began bashing her with his fists and some sort of blunt instrument. Dorothy, what? Uh, yeah. fuck. That's like my worst. In front of her home. That is yeah. my worst nightmare. And they lived in like a family neighborhood. Like they didn't leave, live in the city. They lived in a pretty prosperous area. And so someone just followed her home from her errands and then just beat her. Wow. That's insane. I know. Um, Dorothy, of course, fell over and then was pounded continuously. Pounded might not be the right word. Beaten continuously. 
um, to the point where she fell unconscious. Uh, she tumbled into the house. Her arm dislodged the hallway telephone. And this was the day of live operators. So if you picked up the phone, someone was on the other end. It wasn't just a dial, like dial tone. Um, so the operator heard what was going on and quickly summoned the police. And as the sirens were getting closer, he fled. Police officers arrived moments later and found Dorothy, who was beaten badly on the floor of the hallway. She had suffered a broken jaw, a shattered nose, a fractured shoulder, and a brain concussion. She was rushed to the hospital, and when she awakened, she could only weakly explain that someone jumped out at me. I couldn't see who it was. He just hit me and hit me. So that's what she said. So police labeled the attack as an attempted murder because she was beaten so badly. And Captain James A. Kelly of the Philadelphia Homicide Division began trying to put the pieces together. He concluded that it only could have been someone trying to kill Dorothy since no money, jewelry, or anything else was taken. Um, she had her wallet with her because she was shopping. Nobody tried to grab that. Um, like, after she was on the ground, they could have just entered and stolen whatever they needed to. The, the perpetrator clearly didn't do that. So he only thought that this was a targeted attack. Yeah, like, pointed, like, to kill somebody. Kill someone, and specifically Dorothy. Um, it could have just been her because he saw her in a store and followed her home, but that's all he had interest in. Yeah, I don't know. Serial killers have a specific type, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm. they're pretty rare, but... You know, sometimes I, I was just watching this documentary about one in London who saw a bunch of blonde haired women and killed a bunch of them. But he would just stop on the side of the street when he saw one walking alone and just like take his hammer and fucking smash them. Ah, no, no, thank you. Yeah. So, so like if there's an active serial killer and the victims are all the same, like. Type like blondes or like Ted Bundy had the dark hair middle part thing. How do you not just, like, rush to the hairdressers and say, shave it off? Like, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of people never expect it to happen to them, which mm -hmm. I think is a part of it. And I think another part of it is people think, well, in that scenario, I would do this. So yeah. I'm safe or I would do this and I have a plan so it's safe. And I think some people just don't mm, refuse to stop living their lives. Yeah. So I, I, mean, I guess maybe it's a like this person didn't protect themselves and I will. And then you kind of underestimate how dangerous it is, I guess. I could yeah. see that. Um, so. Jules Forstein was uh, investigated for the attack, but he, of course, had an alibi because he was at work. Uh, and the children were too young to have been involved at all. So um, the case was complex because Dorothy had no known enemies and her neighbors reported that she was one of the most well-liked residents in the entire neighborhood. So the, the case went cold. Um, they started to believe that the attacker might have been someone who had appeared in court before foreseen. And then had beat his wife for revenge. 
Every possible lead that they could think of was investigated, but of course, no arrests were ever made. So Dorothy recovered completely from her injuries, but was so shaken that she, her, her whole personality changed, according to neighbors. She was no longer happy and carefree. She was instead anxious, who was nervous and upset, jumping at every noise in the house and checking and rechecking the locks on the doors and windows. Which, honestly, same. Yeah, like, how, how, right? could you, how could you not be like that after someone attacks you at the entrance it's to your own home? Yeah, like, I, I would think that, of course, you're going to be anxious and constantly check the locks because they didn't even move out of that house. They stayed there. So Jesus. the person that did this to her knows where she lives and continues to live. Well, continued to live. And they were free because he. Yeah. So, uh, spoiler alert since this is a murder podcast, uh, Dorothy does get murdered, presumably. So, in case anyone was spoiled there, you know, just to get, get that out of the way. Um, so, her husband was unsure of like who could have done it. He was positive that no one he had ever come in contact with as a magistrate, which I think is a a judge of some sort, uh, would hate him enough to hurt his wife or his family. And yet he didn't know why else someone would attack his wife. He barely left his wife and children alone after that. Four years later, on the night of October 18th, 1949, he made plans to attend a political banquet as he was leaving his office, he called his wife to check on her, explaining that he didn't plan on being home late and he would be there after the the event. This is four and a half years after her attack. Three and a half years after her attack. Dorothy told her husband everything was fine at home and she joked with him for a moment, finally seeming more like her old self, according to her husband. Be sure to miss me, she reportedly said as she was hanging up. Which... Uh, those are the yeah, last words kind of she said to her husband. Foreshadowing in the yeah. history of <laughs> Yes, and that's apparently what he said she said. Um, it seems a little written to me, but... Well, does... Um... Okay. Does this come out looking like a suicide? Because if it does, I'm totally just going to say, like, that's you remember? sneaky. How I said this was the disappearance of Dorothy Forstein? First time? Oh. At the beginning? No. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not. It does not. I will say it does not end up looking like a suicide. And I will explain that. There is 100% someone involved here besides Dorothy. But we'll get to that. Bum, bum, bum. Anyway, I just can't get over that. Be sure to miss me. Oh, man. Yeah, Horrible. that's just not... I mean, I guess I could see a regular person say, but it just seems so weird, you know? Yeah. Um, so around 11.30, Jules came home, and he opened the door and was instantly greeted by this crying of his two youngest children, Edward and Marcy. According to him, they were huddled on the floor, crying and shrieking. Their sister, Myrna, was staying at a friend's house, and Dorothy was gone. Jules quickly discovered that the children were crying because their mother was gone. Which they were little, so that makes sense. 
While surprised that she would have left the children at home by themselves, Jules assumed that Dorothy was visiting with friends or neighbors, uh, which, first of all, at 11.30 p.m. And also, he said he wouldn't be gone too late, and he's coming home at midnight. Anyway. Yeah, it's... This whole thing is... Yes. He then called around for several hours. No one had seen her, which, again, it's 11.30 p.m. So finally, he called Captain Kelly, who was the detective um, in charge of Dorothy's previous case. And they soon, the police soon started checking hospitals, morgues, and hotels all over Philadelphia, which is... Do you think it's um, weird that instead of calling 911, he called... The detective. I'm assuming they still had 911 back then, right? Well, I mean, they're not that long ago. I guess in my head, it's just weird that you, that you would call that specific person, not knowing like whether he was busy or on a call or something, instead of just calling. You know, you know what I'm saying. I guess Does it wasn't that- 1968 when 911 began. But yes, no, I get what you, you're saying. Um, but I think it's more the thing of like your children are asleep and you're good friends with all your neighbors. So maybe you walked to the neighbor's house after bedtime at like 8 p.m. And, ch- and was chatting or something. And maybe you just got in a conversation and didn't come home. I mean, it was the 40s, too. So, like, I, I could see why that would be the conclusion, especially if like she was really social and was good friends with her neighbors. Like, if I lived around my friends and Ryan came home and I wasn't here, I don't think he would immediately assume something happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I, I think he would try to get a hold of me. And if I didn't answer, call like the friends around us to see if they'd seen me. But I don't think he would even start doing that for a while. I think he just assumed that I was out talking to a friend. I mean, I think it's different when it's that late at night, but yeah, normally I think people would call family and then friends and then start calling the hospitals and stuff after them. Yeah. Um, So they worked frantically. No clues were discovered, unfortunately. Uh, Captain Kelly went door to door to the neighborhood, but no one had seen anything unusual. No one had heard from uh dorothy so no one really knew anything also dorothy had left her purse money and keys at home which is a red flag because that means she like unless she was out talking to a neighbor she wouldn't have just left those things at home purse money and keys those are important uh the front door to the house had been locked as well so now that's weird yeah, so if someone locked, like, if she would have locked the door behind her, but left her keys there, that's not normal. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it could have been an accident. I've definitely accidentally locked myself out of stuff. But I would I say mean, if she did that and the kids were inside, I'm sure she would have freaked out by yes. a neighbor's house and something. Yeah, immediately. Stopped by a neighbor's house and then called her husband to come let her in. Um, so the only lead came from nine-year-old Marcy, uh, but her story was at first dismissed because it is kind of crazy, 
Um, so what she said was that she had been awakened and left her room to see a man coming up the stairs who then went into her mom's room. The doors cracked open and Marcy stated that she see Dorothy lying face down on the rug. She looked sick, the little girl said. The, then the man who she described as wearing a brown hat and brown jacket with something sticking out of the pocket picked up her mom and put her over his shoulder. Dorothy was wearing red silk pajamas and red slippers at the time. Marcy asked the man what he was doing. He patted her on the head or, and replied, go back to sleep, little one. Your mommy has been sick and she will be all right now. The man then carried Dorothy downstairs and out the front door. He locked the door behind him and vanished. Yeah, Marcy how could he lock the door behind him? They didn't have deadbolts, Jackie. They just had like I a know, lock in the door. They would have like, had a key, right? Like if he locked it outside? Unless you're saying he locked no, no, no. the like, bottom part. Yeah, he just like locked it and then shut the door. Like it's one of those, I'm assuming. I mean, he could have had a key. We don't know. People are crazy. Um, so after that happened, Marcy ran and woke up her brother. And they waited together for their father, who arrived home about 15 minutes later. Talk about timing. Um, the little girl told the detectives that she had never seen the man before and had no idea who he was. As much as the police wanted to dismiss this story, it's the only possible explanation that the police had for Dorothy's disappearance. Nothing was ever disturbed in the house. There was no sign of a struggle and no indication that anyone else had been there. There was not a single fingerprint that was there that did not belong to a family member. And the investigators wondered how a man could have walked down the street with a woman in pajamas over his shoulder without someone noticing. And how had he gotten into the locked house anyway? So it's possible like he could have made a key or she could have forgot to lock the door. But from the sounds of it, she was frantically locking the door after getting beaten. But... Regardless, she was never seen again. There were no leads, no suspects, and no explanations as to who might have taken her or why. And that's the disappearance of Dorothy Horstein. That's terrifying. Yeah, so 1945, this woman gets beat in front of her house. Badly beaten to the point where she's got to go to the hospital. And then three and a half years later, someone just takes her. Uh, right out of their house. Um, if she looks sick, it's possible that she could have been like poisoned or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. There's not a really satisfying ending or really anybody to speculate about because it, I mean, it was 1949. So like it could have not been a happy marriage. It definitely could have been like the husband hired someone on yeah, the well, one they night. Definitely we're, they definitely tended to keep more of that hush-hush back then. Oh, yeah. Um, and, I mean, the one night the husband is gone. So it's either somebody that was watching Dorothy and the family. Potentially Mostly. stole a key or had a key made. Um, or someone that was given a key by someone that wanted Dorothy out of the picture. Especially since, like, there was no struggle. Like, she didn't get beat that time. There was no blood anywhere. She was, she had to have been subdued some other way. I just, how do you not move after the first one? Right. I mean, I get being in a tight financial position, but man, 
But do after that, like her you know? husband was proper prosperous. He had a really good position. Like, I just feel like they could have moved had they wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I if something like that happened to me, I'm telling you right now, I could not stay there. Especially mm-hmm. if they never caught the person, I would be out of there. It kind of bugs me that there's like no information. I mean, I get that it was 1949, but there's like nothing. The only thing they have to go on is the testimony of a nine-year-old at that time. So, you know, I I think it was definitely the first person that beat her, that took her. But no one got a good look at this person. No one saw anything. It's just, it's really upsetting. And my worst fear. (laughs) Just the whole case leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. Like, you know, mm. the ending for that woman wasn't wasn't pleasant. good. Yeah. Wasn't at all. So I just, just I bad. smell a rat. I smell a rat. Um, somebody's got to know something more. I mean, look, the true crime community gets a bad rap all the time for saying the husband did it a lot, but well, more often than not, <laughs> right, right. Your spouse is automatically at the top of the list for suspects as soon as something happens to you or anyone. Because I don't know the exact statistics. Let me look it up real quick. But an insane amount of the time, it's the spouse. It's funny that when you marry someone, you have to be like, okay, I'm trusting you. (laughs) No poison, all right? Yeah, so this says from 1980 to 2008, nearly one of five murder victims were killed by an intimate partner. partner. Yeah, most. Uh, can you look up the statistic real quick for me? Two Is out your- of five female murder victims are killed by an intimate partner. Two out of five. How many of those are killed just by someone they know? In 2013, 15 times as many females were murdered by a male they knew than were killed by male strangers. For victims who knew their offenders, 62% were wives, common-law wives, ex-wives, or girlfriends of the offenders. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, everyone look around you. If there's anybody you think is kind of shady, cut them out. Get them out of there. Uh, Well, I guess the takeaways uh, from this are don't trespass. And uh, be sure to miss me. Drugs are good. Drugs are nice. Don't trespass. (laughs) And be sure to miss us. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Before we leave, real quick. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support us. (laughs) We were just going to (laughs) go. And uh, want to support us. We have an Instagram at UCFS. UCSF uh, podcast. What's the name of our podcast? What was that? Five times fast. UCSF podcast. <laughs> we also have a Twitter and Facebook under that name as well. We have a Patreon. Yes. If you like what we're doing, if you want to see some bonus content and you have an extra five bucks that, you know, you don't know what to do with, please consider giving it to us at our Patreon. And we promise that we're going to post content and behind the scenes stuff as soon as we get some patrons. And we it allows have some, us. We have stickers. stickers. Oh, we also have stickers. I'll mail you one uh, yeah. if you become yeah. a patron. Uh, and uh, oh, Jackie, remind me to take those with me when I when I travel. 
Yeah, because um, I've been talking to you about them for like a month. I mailed you like six. I don't know what you did with them. Uh, I don't anyway. have them. I never got them. Oh, the first group. Yeah. <laughs> well, I only got one because all my friends wanted some. <laughs> Listen, Jackie's friends. Thank you for liking our stickers. I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, and the last, uh, did you have something? Yeah, and if you if you have a story you want to tell us, a suggestion, if you were almost murdered by a spouse or someone you knew, uh, or someone you didn't know, if you want to tell us the story, please shoot us an email to ucsfpodcast, and we'll read it mm-hmm. on air. And the last thing, this thing's really the last thing, promise. Um, if you like our podcast please go on to Apple Podcasts or wherever you live. I don't think there is um, this place to do this on Spotify. But we are trying to get more reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we only have a few so far. So if you have a minute in your busy lives and would like to support us and tell the world what you think, please go on there and leave us a review. We'd love a five-star review, but we want your honesty because we can't fix a problem we don't know about. So I yeah, think just let us know what we could do better. Honestly, um, yeah, you can I even send that to our email. Feedback is good feedback, but if you guys have good feedback, it might improve the podcast and make it better for everybody. So yeah, uh, and I think that's I think that's it for real. Can oh, I'm s- I'm sorry. Oh, I'm supposed oh to say. Oh God, no. <laughs> okay, I'll start at the next one. I'll start at the next one. Okay, goodbye. Okay. okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye.